The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept, and one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from really very sunny Arizona. I'm not even going to talk about the temperature today. We're just going to ignore it altogether. Uh, If you want to do better, be better, lead a happier life, you're in the right place because that's what we talk about. We talk about everything and anything to do with self-improvement. And today we're going to talk about love, healing, and health. First of all, I want to thank Alice Cooper for that theme song. The reason we play it is because when you get really involved in self-improvement, <clears throat> you begin to take your power back, really know who you are and what you want. You begin to learn to say that amazing word, no. And sometimes people don't like it and they think you're not so nice anymore. So we just took that theme song, No More Mr. Nice Guy, I'm Stepping Out in My Power, So Here I Come kind of thing. But most of, us, most of us want to live a healthy, happy life. And when we get sick, what do we do? We go to a doctor, and the doctor gives us some medicine or does some procedures, maybe performs a surgery. <clears throat> Whatever that doctor thinks is going to help us will help relieve the symptoms, will put us back on our feet. It isn't treatment that we really want. What we really want is healing. But we're almost afraid of that word. That word brings about concepts of some strange things, some strange treatments, uh, some strange people, and um, we shy away from that. I don't know how that came about. You know, we, we sometimes think that the idea of healing or what we would call a miracle goes back to biblical times, and it's not relevant today. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's very relevant today. Actually, healing is a concept of now. It's as relative today as it's ever been, and maybe even more so. Today we're going to be talking about the healing properties of love. Science has clearly demonstrated that love has a profound and positive effect at a cellular level and brings about positive change in the body. Yes, science has demonstrated that. It's interesting to me because really what's happened here is that the scientists are now proving what the mystics have always known, and I find that really wonderfully amusing. 
Um, love does all kinds of wonderful things to help us heal. And I'm not going to talk about that right now because I want our guest to. Our guest today, Dr. Dean Schrock, saw remarkable results in his work with cancer patients using guided imagery. This really propelled him headlong into a study of why guided imagery produced such profound results. We're going to be talking to him about his findings because they really are quite remarkable. Dean Schrock has a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's degree in community and college counseling, and a doctorate in counseling psychology. His doctoral dissertation was Relaxation, Guided Imagery, and Wellness. He's author of two books, Doctor's Orders, Go Fishing, I love that, and Why Love Heals. He has a passion for teaching people about his findings on how feeling loved and cared for extends life and improves the quality of life. It's such a pleasure for me to say welcome, Dean Schrock, to the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you, Irene, very much. I'm so pleased that we're finally going to be able to talk like this. Yeah, we've had a couple of, well, we've had a good long conversation on the phone, and it just left me wanting to talk to you more. Tell us a little bit about your background. In fact, tell us, who is Dean Schrock? <laughs> well, Dean Schrock professionally, of course, is a licensed psychologist and, as you were saying, served as director of mind-body medicine for a large group of cancer centers, actually 40 cancer centers, and I was really, uh, really enjoying the opportunity to uh, develop all psychological services for cancer patients and their families when I was uh, put in that position. And I think that's how most people recognize me or think of me when, when you ask who I am. Um, and that, of course, I, I had so many unique experiences in that position that led me to write my books, which you talked about at first. And I'll be glad to talk about any experience within that position and, and what I found uh, that surprised me at times and, and how I came to determine that love heals. Now, we have to kind of set the stage here because if people will take just a minute to stop and think about what it must be like when you've been told you have cancer, um, we're going to do all these things to you, and hopefully we can save your life, and maybe we won't. Um, the family is reeling in shock. The, the patient is definitely in shock, sometimes really depressed from the whole thing, and you're expected to give them help. So tell us a little bit about what you did with these patients and what you found as a result of your work with them. Well, I think the one thing I learned, even though I knew this academically, it was another experience to actually go through this with these people, but the idea of um, being just present with them and letting them feel heard and understood so that when I first introduced myself, I largely was oriented to telling them we wanted to you know, monitor how they were feeling um, as as part of their treatment, but also then to teach this 12-hour program that I had in place and where I was able to tell them things they could do for themselves to help themselves along with their medical treatment. 
And I think in the end, the one thing they seem to appreciate is the idea of of being themselves. In, In a real sense, I think they felt like I was giving them permission to be themselves. And also someone, as one of their doctors, who was taking time, a lot of time, to really listen and empathize with what they were going through. And over 12 hours, I think that I was um, in a very good position to say uh, and have them relate to, okay, yeah, I appreciate when you're told you have cancer, as you were saying a moment ago, that what does that really mean? And for most people, you know, if you say cancer, it, it really is equated with death, or I say even worse, you get to fall apart, suffer, and die. And so I was uh, fortunate to be in a position to tell them, well, it doesn't mean that. And that if you're diagnosed early in particular, that the treatment almost certainly will um, put the cancer into remission. But more than that, because I had interned with a radiation oncologist, Carl Simonson, who helped pioneer what we call psychosocial approaches to cancer care. Uh, I had extra insight into what he had done and his program that had been researched and showed you could affect survival with cancer with all stages of cancer. So it it was, again, I think a a very positive experience for me, very rewarding, self-satisfying to to find that um, they could and would respond so well. I think, honestly, initially I was surprised um, that when you think about, okay, chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, and then go fishing, the idea of do what you want to do. You know, I was focusing on the will to live, that the will could live to have such a, a significant impact, but uh, that was part of the pleasant surprise that confirmed Dr. Simonton's research. But these people must have found you as something of an oasis in a desert, because don't it seems to me in my experiences nursing with cancer patients, sometimes the family, they just don't know what to say. And so it's better to say nothing and try to ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. And nobody really wants to sit and listen. Then the patient himself or herself feels they have to be so strong for the yeah. family that nothing gets said. So here you come along and you're wanting to listen and hear how they are and let them express themselves. It must have been it must have been a wonderful experience for them in this period of dryness. Yeah. Yeah, and I've often lectured about that and wrote about it in my first book Doctor's Orders Go Fishing about how we um un necessarily create more of a problem sometimes by not knowing what to say or if uh, the patient is really being genuinely honest uh, will commonly say I feel like I want to die or I don't want to go on and that's when I, I really believe we need to let them voice whatever they're feeling rather than say you shouldn't say that or whatever because now they have to be doubly strong really for you because you're the one who can't cope with it. This is what they're feeling, and they need to be able to express their feelings um, in a safe environment. And I really believe they, they, they felt that way with me. I had an awful lot of feedback over the years that way that was a very pleasant surprise, pleasant feedback for me that 
they felt that comfortable, that it was okay to really let their hair down or tell awful stories, kind of things that otherwise they they would admit they wouldn't uh, confide in their family. Tell us about some of that feedback that made you equate what was happening with the healing power of love. What, what, What were they saying to you? Well, you know, one of the most significant experiences I remember that way, Irene, is, you know, I was going around to all of these cancer centers, and obviously I couldn't be in all places at all times, so I would teach at a center for a time and then move on. And so after being in Indiana, Pennsylvania at the uh, radiation treatment center there, I uh, had probably been there a full year teaching these classes. So I would teach a series of six classes and then immediately teach another six. And people were always invited to return to classes. And it wasn't because, you know, they didn't get it or something, but it functioned like a support group in a way. But there really was so much information in the program that there was no way they were going to take it all in the first time. So anyhow, uh, what I also began to institute, because I wanted people to live like they were going to live. I didn't want them focusing on poor me and I have cancer and I'm going to die. I wanted them engaged in life. I wanted, again, for them to go fishing, which was my way of saying do what brings you the greatest joy and meaning in your life. And I want you to be out there and, and still participating in life. So anyhow, I started to hold picnics. And sometimes I would do them uh, seasonally. Uh, but how of, however often I did them, I was pleasantly surprised how well the people responded by it coming out and attending. So I got to know the people I worked with um, in a bigger, better way than just the uh, contact we had when I would teach my classes or in the cancer centers. And so after this full year in Indiana, I remember especially asking them, I always did, but asking this group in particular, and I'm kind of feeling bad. I had to move on, and and I couldn't stay there to teach the classes any longer, asking them, please tell me what helped you and what didn't. And this is what really caught me by surprise, because I thought they were going to say guided imagery, um, stress management, whatever it is. You know, there there was so much information given. But when uh, I asked, in fact, the first thing they said was that that helped them the most was that I listened. And I honestly, Irene, I I am a little embarrassed to admit this, but I I was sure they didn't understand my question. That, you no, no, I taught you all of this different stuff, you know, what helped and what didn't. So I asked my question again, because again, I was certain they didn't understand what I was really looking for. And so when I asked again, they said the next thing that helped them the most um, was that I cared. And inside... I am so confused, um, and I honestly started to feel a little mad. I mean, I took a certain amount of pride in (laughs) teaching and being effective and clear, and why are they not understanding my question? So I asked it a third time, and then I said, okay, I taught you this in this class and this in this class. Now, again, please tell me what helped you and what didn't. The next thing they said that helped them the most was that I was sincere. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) believe it or not, I started to get it. So in the end, and then I found other research to confirm this later when I was investigating why love heals. So it sounds nice on the surface. Okay, if you feel listened to and cared for and supported, or like in Dean Ornish's research with heart disease when he just kind of broke it down to when you feel loved and cared for, he found it affected um, 
heart disease that, okay, this is nice, but how does that really work? So that's what I found really mattered to them, that they felt listened to and cared for and supported. And, and then I said, felt loved, but how does that translate into remission with cancer? I want you to hold that thought because it's time for us to go to a break. When we come back, we'll discuss more about what happens um, when love is present in disease. This is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show with my guest, Dean Schrock, saying, hey, stay tuned for more. We'll be right back. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to Green with Envy every week for the most up-to-date information about living a green, fulfilling life. With a mix of serious inquiry and engaging humor, host Peter Terween and his guest experts uncover topical issues and refreshing stories that'll keep you informed and inspired. We'll want to hear from you during the live program as well. Green with Envy is broadcast live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on World Talk Radio Variety. Follow the World Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at World Talk Radio. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the World Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash World Talk Radio or follow along with us at World Talk Radio, the World Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to The Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. With Dr. Dean Schrock, we're talking about why love heals. Um, we were talking about picnics that you gave and the feedback that the patients were giving you pointed to the fact that they were feeling, they were basically feeling loved. So is this how you became interested in how love heals? Is, is this its beginning? Well, it was its beginning, but it, it was really accentuated when I went to write up my research I was so very pleasantly surprised that Larry Dossie, who has just been the most inspirational person for me in mind, body, spirit, medicine, uh, actually invited uh, me to submit my uh, research to be published in the journal where he was the, um, I don't know exactly what kind of editor, editor-in-chief or whatever. And what happened was Gene Ochterberg, who was a senior editor, um, kind of took me under a wing and said, 
um, you know, yeah, we really want this published and people are going to really want to know what you did. How is it that in 12 hours of instruction, you were able to change, you know, as, so significantly their, um, their living longer with uh, cancer? And so what happened was I was looking at the will to live, and as I kept calling it, go fishing. And one of the things I didn't mention, but, but really is important here, is that patients found it very selfish to really think about their interests and their needs and their values and really create a much better balance in their lives between doing what they really want to do and otherwise what they think they should do or, or taking care of others. Well, that's so, how we were brought up. You know, everybody else comes first. Right, and so that became a significant part of then helping them with that, you know, how they learned that and why it really isn't healthy. So when I went to write up my research, and thinking that it was the will to live that made the difference, I couldn't comfortably say that. And that's when Jean said, well, you offer your clinical opinion, which is very unusual. Usually when you write up research, you have to cite other research. You can't offer an anecdotal or clinical opinion. And that's when I explained that I thought, and it was based on more than just my Indiana experience for others, that it was because, you know, people felt listened to, cared for, supported. And then I, I broke it down like Dean Ornish did into feeling loved and cared for. And, and then, so that was really the key for me is, is I had to be able to explain in my published research uh, and, you know, why it is I felt that my, my people really did live longer. And then it drove me to really look at this more closely, firstly for myself. I really needed to understand this for me. And then I felt if I could make sense of it for me, then I could be an effective um, person in teaching it or writing about it. And so I, was, I just decided I'm going to write about this and really look for as much evidence as I could, if it existed, why love heals. And that's when I wrote the book and was really pleased with what I came up with uh, to support, in fact, why love heals. Okay, so we're all on the same page. How do you define love? Well, that's almost like a whole other radio show. Uh, Yeah, I know. But, you know, (laughs) just a working definition, so we're all talking about the same thing here. Yeah, okay, well, I'm going to have to say more than my first response, which is oneness. Love is really a sense of oneness. Mm -hmm. We could use other words like compassion and harmony and caring and so forth. In fact... Um, two people in particular did a great thing, uh, a Martin Seligman and uh, uh, Christopher Peterson wrote a book called Character, Strengths, and Virtues. Yes. Yeah, Positive a very psychology. academic book. But they looked at all of the uh, psychological research and all of the philosophical research um, trying to determine what were the core values um, taught or determined by research or contained in all of these philosophical systems, religions, and so forth. And they came up with six, which was fascinating. And actually, love was contained within the uh, virtue of humanity. But that really got me to thinking um, when we, and even as they speculated, that they said that perhaps these values are so universal that they're grounded in biology, 
because they could actually affect their survival response in the species. Mm. Yeah, so then I got to thinking, okay, um, when we think about love in that respect, um, then, then there maybe is some real value at looking at virtuous behavior, but then how would virtuous behavior also then factor into uh, our survival uh, factor or, you know, living longer with cancer. And in that process, I, I read so much more, including uh, my own personal study of quantum <laughs> physics. And I want to say right away that it's not like I believe I really understand this, but um, I'm not sure anyone does, honestly. If you really look into it, there's so many different uh, perspectives, even though the research is really uh, quite astounding that uh, underlying all of what we understand of in terms of the physical. So we look at atomic and subatomic and whatever is the most fundamental stuff of the universe. Quantum physics says that it's actually only a potential field of energy. It's not even a particle and not necessarily a waveform. But it's interesting that this underlying quantum field, electromagnetic field, underlies and connects everything. And the qualities of that field are one of compassion and harmony and order. And one physicist in particular who stands out for me is David Bohm. And I remember when he was talking about this wholeness as such that he says links the entire universe and called it a force of compassion. He said, in short, this energy itself is love. The ultimate nature of the universe is an energy of love. So when you even raise the question early on about who are we and otherwise what is love, it's really everything is love and an expression or manifestation of love in physical form, at least as we appreciate it with our physical senses. I, you know, yeah, I get lost in quantum physics. You have the best explanation in your book. It's almost, it's almost understandable to me. <laughs> uh, I struggle through quantum physics, and yet I know that it has, it has tremendous answers to questions that we've asked forever. Um, but getting to understanding the answers is, is not an easy thing. This is before, though, some of the research came out, isn't it? This is well before Candace Pert's Molecules of Emotion. So you were really right on the cutting edge of things. Well, it's interesting that Max Planck, who's considered the father of quantum physics, this goes back to the, uh, I want to say something like um, 1913. um, He was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics for this kind of a discovery. And by the 1930s, at least three other physicists were also awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics for making very similar conclusions about the oneness of the universe. And so it's interesting that we think about here we are now and, and, and making these discoveries and that's cutting edge, but that information was available a long time ago and I was a little disappointed in the way that I didn't know about it sooner even though when I wrote up my dissertation for my doctoral degree on guided imagery, one of the hypotheses I discussed in my dissertation was quantum mechanics or quantum physics because another thing these physicists had determined through research was that this uh, field of potential energy 
only uh, manifested in form when consciousness was introduced. So when we actually observe or measure something, then did it take on form. So it was another way to explain then for me even why the placebo effect works or why guided imagery works is whatever you focus on literally creates a blueprint that then gets filled in with a suitable or appropriate matter and becomes that. So um, I know for some people uh, who are truly scientific-minded, when you talk about you create your own reality, the fact is you really do. It goes back kind of to the old Chinese saying, qi follows yi, uh, energy follows intention. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you have these as base concepts, it changes everything in terms of how you approach somebody who's ill or how, you know, how you approach almost any kind of change. But I'm thinking particularly of diseases like cancer. Uh, that, that means that everything we think and feel affects not only us but them. Indeed. And so it, it makes you question, you know, how we go about uh, what is really most important within medicine, which is diagnosis, that we honestly believe within medicine that if we know your diagnosis, we know what to do to treat. And it is <laughs> not that simple because Carl Simonton found out and why he even developed his program was that patients with the exact same diagnosis getting the exact same treatment always had a variety of outcomes. And that's disturbing when you really think about it. And he concluded, his observation was, that people who had this will to live, a zest for life, who um, were more engaged in truly wanting to live, had the better outcomes. And that's why he developed his program, and I modeled my program after his. So indeed, uh, there's, there's more to this. And... Um, we, when we diagnose somebody, you know, like I said earlier, what does it mean to be diagnosed with cancer? Most people think uh, in terms of death. Well, we need to be able to explain to people that um, a diagnosis, is, as uh, Norman Cousins said, is not a verdict. It, it means that, okay, this gives us uh, a better understanding of what we need to do or can do to offer medical treatment, but under no circumstances does it mean, you know, that you're stuck with this and there's nothing more we can do? And, and unfortunately, we need to focus on what's right or what we can do instead of, you know, the diagnosis and, and what people think that means, that they're sick and they're going to die or whatever. Exactly. It's time for us to go to another break. I want to talk more about this when we come back. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dean Schrock talking about how love heals. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective. 
ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the KidStar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dean Schrock. We're talking about why love heals. Before the break, we were talking about uh, trying to create a zest for life in, in your patients and what a diagnosis can do. And so basically what I'm hearing you say is that everything we say can have an impact on this patient's outcome and their progress so what does this mean then in terms of what a doctor does his bedside manner what he tells the patient I know he has to tell tell them by law what it is they're dealing with and how he you know how can he tell somebody they have cancer without you know just blowing them away right and you know it was an informed choice it's ethical <coughs> and legal to say this is your diagnosis, these are the treatments that are available, and here are the potential or probable outcomes, including side effects. And I know the practical part of this is even while more time may actually be spent um, talking about what could go right and why we are recommending certain treatments, they usually end up with an, okay, and these are the potential things that could go wrong or side effects. That's what people tend to hear and really focus on. And so, yes, indeed, that can uh, work against the patient because of the placebo effect or that, you know, all of your thoughts and feelings literally create an outcome. And so when you talk about bedside manner, um, additionally, then there's a substantial amount of research now talking about, you know, physicians who are more hopeful and positive and um, have more of a rapport with the patient have better health outcomes, the patients do, than physicians who otherwise are cold or aloof or distant in the way they relate with the patient. You know, I'm also thinking about doctors who say to a patient, this is what you have, you have such and such a cancer, and I, you know, I would say you have maybe six months to live and that person will die six months almost to the day you know and how do we get this across to doctors and and some of them are very open and and some are not how do we let them know that there are other ways to handle this so they're not giving their their patient a, a definite you know 
day that their life is going to be over. Right. In my book, Doctor's Orders Go Fishing, I actually cite something from a clinical oncology journal talking about how much information do you give a patient and how do we handle the very thing you're questioning. And one suggestion was to actually ask the patient and the family, how much information do you really want? And then follow that lead. Indeed, we need to, again, give uh, patients the their diagnosis and um, potential outcomes of treatments or, or non-treatment. Um, and, and some honestly believe then that we need to say, based on statistics, that, you know, if you get treatment, here's what's likely to happen in terms of how much longer you might live or, you know, whatever is that average figure. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be st- stated coldly other than if the patient really wants that information. But still, I think it's helpful to add additional information. But here's what we can do, and here's what we can do to increase our odds. And that's the way I like to really think about it, especially when you look at the placebo effect, which we say generally um, is as effective one-third of the time as any medical treatment. And so when I teach, I say, how would you like to increase your odds by a third? Guaranteed, science. Guaranteed. I mean, and it's like one of those, are you kidding? And, and yet, you know, we don't really incorporate the placebo effect into conventional care. We need to be much more careful about how we say and what we say, but also that we could, whether through deliberate intention techniques like guided imagery or affirmations or prayer, is encourage people to focus on what they want and not what they don't want. See, the question that comes up for me is, I guess, you know, how can we get healthcare professionals to see that the patient is holistic, that they need the right kind of nourishment, they need, you know, they, they have spiritual needs, they have emotional needs, certainly they have physical needs when they're dealing with cancer, but all of these things work together to put them in the position that they're in, and they all work together to bring about healing. So how, how you know, what do you see as a possibility of changing the thought patterns to something that's a little more holistic, or yeah. am I way off base? No, no, no. What you're asking, I think, is essential, but in fact, so how do we actually do this? And two things come to mind right away. One, back in, I think it was 1993, David Eisenberg published a survey of what patients or people do for health care. And it became the most cited medical journal article in history. And they said that they were going to alternative healthcare practitioners more than their primary care physicians for their care. And this was very alarming because physicians really didn't know or believe in these alternative approaches. It wasn't their training or understanding. And also within the industry, there would have been a concern because an awful lot of money was going to uh, others for their care, and otherwise what they believe to be questionable care. So um, the one thing I'm going to comment on is that it is going to change, Irene, because it will be consumer-driven, that people, in fact, want to have these other factors taken into account 
in their care. And I and largely refer to them as their unmet emotional needs. And that's what Dr. Eisenberg pointed out in that article, is that the, the primary reason why people were going to these alternative practitioners was because they wanted to be f- treated more like a person and more holistically. The other thing I want to comment on is uh, Dr. Andrew Weil and the program he mm. began uh, on in- with integrative medicine at the University of Arizona in the Wonderful 90s. Wonderful program, yeah. Yeah, and then David Jones and others now have a program called Functional Medicine, and the, a, a core of what they do is to focus on the individual and not just on your diagnosis and symptom management, and indeed wanting to take into account other factors. And maybe the most, um, I think, I want to call it an indictment of medical schools is that they don't even uh, make it a requirement for physicians today or medical students today to study nutrition and exercise. You know, exactly. Three, yeah, the three pillars of wellness are nutrition, exercise, and stress management. And while actually this is very new and a positive step, the most medical schools actually have these courses. They're not required. And I read recently where only 3% of medical students currently actually take these courses. So a real problem exists within uh, medical schools and then our physicians is they don't have this training and understanding that there are these other uh, truly effective, legitimate approaches beyond pharmaceuticals and surgery, largely. largely. It's always, well, amusing and amazing, I guess, to me to think that healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, um, can believe that this tiny little pill you put in your mouth is going to make a great difference in your health when what you put in your mouth three times a day as food doesn't matter. It's interesting it's an interesting concept to me that we that we think that way you know and and i don't know why the medical profession is so slow to catch on back in i do hypnotherapy i'm pretty much retired now but i still do some the the ama accepted hypnotherapy as a treatment modality in 1953 but they still think of it as hocus pocus and quackery and don't not all of them. Some of them have learned to use it and use it extremely well. But by and large, they think it's just some hocus-pocus, strange kind of thing that some of us do. And yet, like your guided imagery, it can be just an incredibly powerful tool. But I don't know how we can get them ahead of the power curve on some of these things. Yeah. Well, I'm going to come back to it will be consumer-driven because... I mean this well when I say that, um, you know, somebody's going to go out of business. But when I was director of mind-body medicine for that large group of cancer centers, there was a major entrepreneur at the head of that. And I learned that if there is um, a service that people want, someone will find a way to provide it. And when I even look about, looked at um, birthing centers, you know, I'm old enough to remember when we didn't have birthing centers within hospitals, but then others went and, you know, had them as uh, freestanding outpatient services. I, I really believe that hospitals then didn't create birthing centers within the hospital out of the goodness of their hearts. They did it because <laughs> they were losing business. 
I totally agree. And that statement brings us right up to another break. <laughs> it's time for us to take a short break. This is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show with my guest Dean Schrock saying, hey, stay tuned for more. We'll be right back. To succeed in life today, you have to respond well to change and be willing to take chances. On Star Style, Be the Star You Are, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan and her sidekick, daughter Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations with live interviews with trailblazers, authors, and experts. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on the Power Hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Variety. For positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio, it's Star Style. Be the star you are. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. On with my guest, Dean Schrock, talking about why love heals. Before we even get started, Dean, I want you to tell our listeners how they can reach you and how they can find your book. Okay. Well, I have a website, www.dean, D-E-A-N, Schrock, S-H-R-O-C-K.com. And certainly they can go there, and that's where they could get a free e-course, a six-part e-course on why love heals, and also a free uh, guided imagery exercise on why love heals, simply by going to the website and clicking on something that will be very obvious. Then also on the website, there's a product page where you can go and find where you can get copies of the books, and also I have two other guided imagery CDs, one for stress management and one to experience why love heals. And then also I had uh, taught a seven-part teleseminar on uh, how to transform your life. Uh, A couple years back uh, I was really reflecting on, okay, so what are the pearls of what I've learned? What would I really like to say to someone, you know, this is what you really can do to transform your life. And so I, I taught a webinar on that, and that's also available as a download on the website if people are interested in what I'm doing that way. But you and I were discussing off the air something that I'm doing right now. Yeah, I want you is, to tell us about those things. Yeah, 
I'm applying to uh, major professional health care organizations like the American Psychological Association and, and the National uh, Association for Social Workers and the one for nurses and so forth. And I'm attempting to become approved for continuing education credits for all of these healthcare professionals. So the basic program that I taught and researched that extended survival with cancer, I've updated, and I now call it Living and Thriving, a mind-body-spirit program for wellness. And by the first of next year, I anticipate being approved, and the program will be available to healthcare professionals for continuing education credit. So I think there will be an extra incentive since people have to get continuing education credit to keep their licenses, to take advantage of a program like this. And then also, um, I have a dear friend who has asked me to be on faculty and board of advisors of a new academy that also will begin next spring. It's called the Alpha Academy of Healing Arts and Sciences. And if your audience is listen, uh, listening audience is interested, they could go to www.thealphaacademy.com and see the, uh, the first of the website that isn't completed yet, but they can at least get a real good idea of what we're doing there. And that will be available also that uh, I think people would find very instructional and inspirational, and I'm really pleased to be part of that. Is this a physical location or is this going to be an online no, that'll be a physical location. The Academy is in Medford, Oregon. Eventually, it will expand beyond there, but that's where the founder uh, lives, and that's where I used to live, actually. Now I'm in Eugene, Oregon, about a three-hour drive away, but that will be a physical um, a location where, where offices and rooms exist now where people will be able to take those classes. Is there any thought to making courses available online? Yes, eventually. We're just getting started. But right now we're going through the certification process where the the academy will be certified by the state of Oregon and otherwise then to get continuing education credits, hopefully also for those courses as an extra incentive why people would want to participate in the academy. And who do you see coming to this, people who are already involved in health care? Well, it certainly could be those who simply have an interest in their health, but I think we're, we are, are, are largely interested, like you, in educating uh, healthcare professionals about the wholeness of the individual and, and treatments or approaches that address the wholeness of the individual, and, and certainly including spiritual aspects of the individual. So um, it's for anyone, but certainly uh, for healthcare professionals who would like to expand their understanding of what we really believe heals is, is we certainly hope to be able to help in that way. It sounds absolutely wonderful, and I, and I just hope it's an incredible success. It has to be. We have time for just one question, I think, before you leave your final thought with the, with the listeners. And my final question would be, Dean, why should I go fishing? <laughs> well, the, the honest answer in, in the most common sense terms, relates to the adage that goes, when you're busy doing what you like to do, you tend to forget your aches and pains. So there's genuine common sense into taking time to do what you really want. But honestly, you're going to have to deal with the 
this social conditioning that says, but everybody else should come first. So once you learn and really come to understand that it, it just makes so much sense to have this balance between doing uh, for yourself and doing for others, it's easy to look at others and advise them that way. I learned this when I was dealing with people recovering from strokes. And fortunately, if they were discharged to home, then for the caregiver, it was dramatically going to change that person's life also. But and then I saw how family or friends would call and say, hey, I'm going to come over and sit with whomever because you still need to get out of the house. You still need to go to church or to the store or do some other things. But when it came to that individual, you, you felt like you had to be Superman or Superwoman, and, and you couldn't do that, even though it was just common sense that you, you still need to have a relatively normal lifestyle or eventually it's going to take your health and you end up being no good to anybody. So going fishing um, in a bigger context, though, is, is a resonant energy of love. When you're being joyful, it's one of those virtuous kinds of behaviors. You're resonating with this core essence of who you are. So that would be my really greatest, deeper understanding of why you need to go fishing beyond that it just makes you nicer to live with. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not saying I actually have to go wading around in a stream, catch some fish. No, no, whatever it is that honestly makes your heart sing. And so when I was in central Pennsylvania where cancer centers were based, you know, deer hunting was big. Actually, in most of Pennsylvania, the first day of buck season, the first day of doe season, the first day of trout season, they closed public schools. Really? Yeah, so they really understood. And that's why I came up with Go Fishing, because I wanted to say it in a way that they could really relate to. I know you have a story in your book about the the men who would get up off their deathbed to go to the first day of hunting. <laughs> we season. lost up to two-thirds of our patients at our radiation treatment centers the first week of buck season. I love it. I mean, <laughs> what does that tell you about the human spirit? Right. And, and, and I, I would, you know, tell the story. Imagine that we had this sick person, but otherwise who loved to go deer hunting and now is out in the woods. You know, is our, is our person going to feel better or worse for having gone hunting, and especially if they got a buck? And if, you, if you're a hunter, just, you know the answer. Of course you're going to feel better. Of and course so, you are. Right. And then now because we know about psychoneuroimmunology and about epigenetics, and other things scientifically, how your emotions, how you feel, literally translates either into how your genes are expressed or how your immune system functions. Going fishing is just not just common sense, it's, it's scientifically sound. Isn't it wonderful that we have wonderful, fun things being scientifically sound? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love it. It's just about time for us to come to the close. So what's the thought you'd like to leave our listeners with, Dean? Okay, well, certainly go fishing. That's a wonderful message, and it's very healthy, very healing. But the other thing I think that's really core would be meditation. You know, when you ask me to define love, and in the end, I think it's always about being ourselves, where we feel we are most genuinely able to be ourselves. Well, you will never be more yourself than when you're resonating with this core sense of who you are as love or oneness. And that's when I absolutely recommend meditation. And there's a lot of great evidence. When John Kabat-Zinn was at the uh, University of Massachusetts Medical Center and for so many years demonstrated the effectiveness of meditation with all illnesses, it was interesting. 
And then Dean Ornish, meditation was a key component of what he found, too, in his program with heart disease. And maybe the book My Stroke of Insight by Jill Bolte-Taylor points out... Oh, she's wonderful. Right. Here she was, a brain scientist who understood the physical brain, but when she had a stroke herself and when her uh, left brain hemisphere was compromised and she had to live in her right as such, now it be being the dominant one, is what it was like to literally experience oneness. Your left and right brain hemispheres have very different realities. And we are so focused in terms of our use of the left brain and, and being analytical and logical and reasoning. And, and so one of the, the um, challenges for science is to come to an understanding that you will never fully appreciate love and oneness and some of the deeper um, understandings of who we are because you can't do that through thought and reason. You have to do it by learning to resonate um, and, and use the more, uh, have a more dominant use of your right brain hemisphere, which happens through meditation. So that would be my two strong recommendations. Go fishing and really learn and take time to do that and to meditate. Wonderful. Dean, thank you so much for being with us today. Next week's guest is Jamie Lerner. We're going to be talking about the ever-loving essence of you. Dean, we thank you so much. Uh, we're going to definitely have to do this again. This okay, is Irene. Gladly. Yeah, this is Irene Conlon saying goodbye for the self-improvement show. We'll be back again next week, so we'll see you next Thursday at noon. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.